This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Kim, okay, just checking your levels. You can raise it to 11. Why not just make 10 louder? <laughs> but you can raise it to 11. All right, here we go. Levels are set, Mikey. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Ages and Icons. I'm Mike Crisologo. And I'm Jeannie B., Mikey's sidekick. <laughs> I'm huge Rob Reiner fans. Spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. <laughs> Mike got to interview Rob Reiner. I'm super jalous, but we got over that last week. Rob called the uh, Rob called the studio, and Mike got to talk to him about shock and awe. Yeah, I've been, I've been doing sort of a roll call of Gina's heroes. <laughs> I know. <laughs> this one I was really trying to get in yeah. on. Oh, my God. We did Bassam Yusuf recently, and now uh, Rob Reiner. I love Rob Reiner with uh, sometimes you interview somebody and you're not as familiar with their work and you learn about them to interview them mm-hmm. Rob Reiner uh, my favorite Rob Reiner is All in the Family I know he's a brilliant filmmaker and we're going to get into that but All in the Family is where I, I first saw Rob Reiner it's one of my favorite sitcoms and uh, I just he's just so perfect on that a perfect foil to Archie Bunker mm-hmm. and uh, but, but you came to Rob sort of accidentally through his filmmaking. First of all, I love Rob Reiner as a filmmaker. I myself am a filmmaker. And um, I was one of the few people who, you know, whenever you go to filmmaking school or you do interviews or you you talk to people, um, when the people ask you your favorite filmmakers, they're expecting to hear, you know, Woody Allen or Kurosawa or Tarantino. I, I always say Reiner. <laughs> I always say Rob Reiner. I'm a child of the 80s. I love American mainstream cinema. Um, him and his ex-wife Penny Marshall made some incredible movies back then. Um, when I was a kid, I saw When Harry Met Sally. I was like 12. Didn't quite understand everything, but I knew that it was perfect in every way. I knew the performances were perfect. I knew the script was perfect. I think he gets a... Um, yeah, I don't think he gets enough credit for the ma- the amount of masterpieces this yeah. man has put out there. Yeah, I mean, you look... We just we have a list it's in incredible. front of us here. You have Stand By Me, Misery, The American President, A Few Good Men, When Harry Met Sally, This Is Spinal Tap, The Princess Bride. That's just a few of them. Com- some of them completely different types of films, completely different genres, yeah. and and he nailed them all. And you were saying to me earlier that you didn't, you liked a lot of Rob Reiner movies, but you didn't know they were Rob Reiner movies when no, you were younger. No, it was after when Harry Met Sally. Yeah, then it was like I an was accident. Like, right? Yeah, then then I saw. <laughs> oh wait, this guy did my other yeah. favorite movie, Princess Bride. I guess I'm a Rob Reiner fan. Oh my guess I'm a huge Rob Reiner fan. Um, yeah, I yeah. I, lo- I love him, and I've seen those movies. Um, I don't know, Mike. I, I think when Harry Met Sally, maybe. Maybe eighty times. Wow. I, well, I worked at a video store too, so I used to play it a lot. <laughs> it was it's it was, it's like a blanket to me now. Yeah. That and Princess Bride, those two films are like blankets yeah. to me. You know, when you feel sad, I I pop them in. I know them by heart. It, I'm very annoying to watch those movies yeah. with. <laughs> and Spinal Tap as well, and even American President. I'm annoying to watch those movies with because they have such um, there there's such a like a musicality to the to the way the dialogue is, and yeah. it just flows so well and that's not just the, the screenwriting it's also just the way that the performances are directed and, and um, oh he's the best he's so underrated in my opinion no he is he, he's incredible and uh, for people who follow him on, on social media he's really highly engaged on Twitter he is uh, very passionately anti-Trump and he's very engaged in the political process in America right now and sort of trying to galvanize support uh, mm-hmm. for uh, for anti-Trump 
activities and, and activists. And his latest film sort of, it, it ties into all that. It's called Shock and Awe. It's uh, released in Canada on July 27th. And it's about the uh, the early 2000s, sort of after 9-11, the invasion of Iraq. And uh, it, it's about these journalists at uh, the, the Knight Ritter um, media sort of organization. They, they would write newspaper articles and send them out to various uh, papers that subscribe to Knight Ritter. And they were these a couple of journalists played by James Marsden and uh, Woody Harrelson were the first journalists to really question the motives of the White House uh, and the American government going into Iraq. And, uh, and, and anyway, and Rob Reiner is in the film as well. You'll hear the story of how that came about in the interview. But, you know, it, it really is. I love a, Rob when he appears in his movies. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Right? But, but the, the movie is about this, this time period in the early 2000s. But it, the, the themes of media literacy and understanding how news works and where the talking points are coming from. Mm-hmm. There's a scene in the movie where uh, Dick Cheney is pointing to the New York Times as an example of, hey, look, see. I agree with them. They're right. We're doing the right thing. And and the reporters are like, oh, yeah, I guess. I wonder who the New York Times' uh, unidentified source was for that article. Because it was obviously Dick Cheney, yeah. you know, who was the vice president at the time. So it really gives you an idea of how the media works and, and a little bit of a lesson in media literacy, which... It's also yeah, it's also kind of quaint for today's day. It, it is quaint. Yeah, I know, right? Like for everything that goes on today and you're like, my God, oh, this bad. is what they were worried about. It doesn't seem like a scandal. Uh, but but it's, 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 that's the point. Like for today... More than ever, we need to learn and understand media literacy and how media stories come about and all this garbage that you hear, this trash about fake news that I don't even like to say the words because journalists are getting shot and killed in in newsrooms now because of this trash. Um, but it's really an important message in this day and age, in this age yeah. that we live in, to understand how media works and how stories work and uh, media literacy. And that is my rant to preface this interview with the the absolutely lovable Rob Reiner. He yeah. was like, you picture Rob Reiner in your head and you're like, oh my God, I hope he's as well, lovable Rob as... Rob will rant too in this interview. He rants a little bit. You know, he uh, does rant yeah. a little bit too. Ranting is yeah. warranted in 2018. Absolutely. Like, but I totally will tell warranted. you, there are times when you go to interview somebody and in your head you're like, oh my God, that person is so funny. I can't wait to sit down and talk to them or that they seem so nice. I can't wait to sit down and talk to them. And then you sit down with them and they're grumpy and miserable and they don't want to like, give you an answer, yada, yada. Rob Reiner was exactly what you want Rob Reiner to be. He's mm-hmm. so kind. He's passionate. He's funny. Uh, he's a big mensch. And, and as, he, yeah. <laughs> as he says in his interview, he's completely open. He doesn't have secrets. You want to ask him anything, he will answer anything. Okay, so please look for Ages and Icons. That's our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Review and like the show um, somewhere people can find us. Let's just jump right into Mike's interview with Rob Reiner. Hi, Mr. Reiner. How are you? Hi, Mike. How you doing? I'm great. Thanks so much for your time today. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, well, first of all, congratulations on Shock and Awe. I just saw it yesterday and I really enjoyed it. Oh, uh, thank you. Um, it's, it's really interesting because I was reading about uh, some interviews that you've done around Shock and Awe, and you were talking about, I believe, that you were making this film around the time that uh, President Trump was sort of coming up uh, and into office. And uh, with yeah, f- the last I think it was the, either the last day or the next to last day of shooting, wow. uh, where where he became president. Wow. So okay. So through that whole campaign, you you guys were shooting through part of that and and the election. Right. So 
I mean, th- this film really does focus on uh, narratives and how narratives are, are built and created in the media and who's controlling them. And really a lot about media literacy as well, which is an important lesson. And I'm just wondering off the top, if you had an idea when you were making this film, how important it would be not just to understanding, you know, what happened back into the early 2000s with George W. Bush, but maybe how important it would be to uh, helping us understand the age of Trump. Well, I mean, you, you couldn't help but... Uh but but notice that uh you know the whole point of the film is uh journalists getting at the truth and trying to get the truth out to the public and watching how journalists uh covered uh Donald Trump during the um, the primaries and during the the general election i mean I, I don't think the journalists thought he was going to get the nomination i don't think they thought he was going to win and so the serious kind of uh, due diligence that you would do for somebody like this to show you know who he really is uh, i don't think they uh, did what they needed to do now they uh, you know they covered him certainly um, and during the run-up to the war they basically were wrapped up in uh, nationalism and patriotism after 9/11 because the country went into you know shock, mm-hmm. uh, and they didn't want to look unpatriotic going against the administration. But it's the same kind of uh, you know uh, you know the the same idea, which is what my, the character I play, John Walcott, in the film says: when the government says something, you only have one question to ask: is it true? Mm-hmm. And so I, I felt that they. Uh, were derelict during the run-up to, you know, during the campaign, uh, and and we see the result. It's, you know, initially not as, uh, you know, immediate a bad result as what you see when uh, you don't get the public the, the truth about going to war, because as Tommy Lee Jones says in the film, when the government fucks up, the, the soldiers pay the price, and yeah. there's a very heavy price. But now I think what we're seeing is ultimately possibly a greater price even in that we're seeing democracy being destroyed. And one of the, uh, the recipients of most of the destruction is the press right now. Yeah. Um, they're being called the enemy of the people. They're being called fake news every day. Um, and, 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 and that you know, according to our, you know, the opening line in our in our film, the opening uh, statement by Bill Moyers, LBJ's press secretary, is, uh, you know, basically democracy doesn't survive unless you have a free and independent media. So right now, demo- you know, the democracy is under attack uh, by foreign enemy power, and uh, the press, which I think now, or at least a big chunk of the press, is doing. Uh, their due diligence and is really trying to push out, push the truth out, is facing uh, enormous headwinds, uh, in a way, even greater headwinds than the journalists faced back in 2003, because you've got now 40% of the country receiving um, basically an alternative narrative, which is yeah. lies. And, and we see it every day. And, you know, uh, right now the truth is under attack, and we're having a debate in this country as to what's true and what's not true. It's it's a very scary time, and I think the, that the press is uh, is is having a really hard time, yeah. uh, and even more difficult than the run up to the war. 
Oh, absolutely. And I know you mentioned how you played John Wolcott in the film. Uh, I read that you weren't supposed to be starring in the film, were you? No, no. It was supposed to be Alec Baldwin. We had cast him, <laughs> and he had agreed to do it. We actually rearranged the entire schedule to, to accommodate him because he was playing Trump, you know, in yeah. Saturday Night Live, and we wanted to get him out every Friday so we could go up to New York. And uh, we had been shooting for a week with uh, Woody Harrelson and Tommy Lee Jones and James Marsden, and uh, we get a call on Saturday from his agent, and he's supposed to shoot Monday, two days later, and saying that he can't, he's not doing it, he's dropping out. And so I thought, oh my God, this is unbelievable. You know, we, you know, who do we get? And Michelle, who's my wife, who was also one of the producers on the film, she suggested that I do it. <laughs> and I thought, oh God, I don't like acting and directing. It's too difficult. The focus is too split. I said, but you know what? I, I'm a I don't know what else to get, and I'm available. So, and I and I work cheap. So, I agreed to do it. And then she gave me the only direction that I that uh, that anybody gave me, which is because I'm playing this guy John Walcott, you know. Yeah. And uh, she said, try to be less Jewish. And so I said, okay, I'll do my best. You know, it's funny because uh, seeing you on screen, it, it always makes me think, or and probably everybody who sees you on screen, we think of the first time we saw you on screen, uh, and it's different, I'm sure, for everybody. For me, it was all in the family. And right. and this character is sort of, I could see, you know, Michael Stivic growing up to almost be this this character, still fighting for the truth and such. And, uh, and I wonder sometimes, I know you're very active politically uh, as well, if, you know, in this age that we're dealing with and, and alternate facts and truth, does it feel sometimes like you're you're battling against like you know a hundred million Archie bunkers now when you're well, sort of putting Archie your... bunker Archie bunkers in the White House? Yeah, well there you go. Yeah, he's sitting there right in there in the White House. I mean he's a he's a guy from Queens. He's not uh, he's ignorant, not particularly intelligent, uh, except about selling himself. He's very good at that, but he certainly doesn't understand how the world works or how politics work or how. I mean, we're how government works, and uh, he's, a, he's a bigot. He's a racist. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> it's very difficult when Archie Bunker gets elevated to become president of the United States. Right. It's very tough for the Mike Stivics of the world to, uh, <laughs> to battle that. We all sort of feel your pain now, I think, years later. Yeah, well, uh, 60% of the country feels Yeah, like true. <laughs> yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about um, how you have sort of uh, embrace social media because I think uh, you know at Zoomer, uh, which we gear we're geared towards the forty five plus age demo. That demographic often gets sort of stereotyped as not being very uh, savvy when it comes to technology and social media. But you've really embraced Twitter, as has your dad, uh, Carl Reiner. And well, so here's yeah. the funny part about that. You know, my father was on Twitter years before I got on Twitter. <laughs> I mean, he was doing it for years. I only got on Twitter like two years ago. Uh, you know, I got on Twitter uh, when Trump was getting the nomination because I thought, ah, what, what can I do to stop this guy? <laughs> and, and my wife, Michelle, said, well, why don't you get a bunch of people to tweet out, you know, because you know, she's much more, uh, you know, technologically savvy than I am. So I didn't know anything about it. Uh, so I got on Twitter and I like I've been on there for a couple of years now. And so now it's 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 a way of getting your your voice out there and you know you build your followers and hopefully uh you know the only thing i think it can do uh is keep the the people who agree with you energized you mm -hmm. know 
to keeping them engaged so that they go to the polls. Absolutely, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's in the, the name of our podcast, Ages and Icons. We, we focus a lot on aging here. So I wanted to just sort of ask you a, a two-part question here. First, how your, your father is doing, because he's got a lot of fans over on our side. And also, sort of what you've learned from him over the years, just as you, as you move on in life and you get older, and, you know, just what you've learned about him uh, from aging. Well, first of all, He's doing really good. He's 96 years wow. old, wow. and, uh, you know, there's this documentary on HBO that he's in, and the title of the documentary is What He Said. He, it was his quote, which is, you know, uh, he says he gets up every day, and uh, he reads the obits, and if he's not in it, he eats breakfast. <laughs> and so that's his, that's his way, you know, and he, he's writing. He's always writing every day, and I think, you know, the key for him is, that he finds, you know, he's found things that he loves to do, uh, you know, and he just keeps doing them. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm lucky that I've gotten, uh, you know, him as a father and then Norman Lear is another, yes. uh, you know, role model to, to look at guys who, and he's also 96, to look at these guys and see uh, how they live their lives, you know, and, uh, you know, he he's like a great example. My father, you know, I just, you know, people always ask me, did he ever give you advice and stuff? He never gave me advice in that, you know, sitting down and talking to me about it. But the best advice I got was to watch how he conducted himself and how he conducted his life. So that to me is, is you know, you lead by example. And, and I've seen how he works and how he lives his life. And, you know, it's a... It's it's the best uh, lesson you can get. Of course, we were actually just talking here at the office about your dad and Norman Lear and uh, Mel Brooks as well. And right. I mean, do you envision yourself being in your mid nineties and still uh, working and and putting out products? Listen, I'll, I'll keep working as long as I'm you know as long as I'm capable, as long as my mind is functioning and I you know my physical being is functioning. I mean. I can't, I mean, 90, I'd be lucky to live to 96. I mean, it's, you know, yeah. I can remember as a kid uh, walking with him, you know, in New York City, and I could never keep up with him, you know, <laughs> physically. I couldn't, he was walking fast, and I'd have to run alongside of him. So, you know, I, I, you know I, I'd be lucky, like I said, to, yeah. to live to 90 is a great thing. <laughs> Absolutely. And, um, you know, I wanted to ask you just a little bit about your filmmaking career. Um, I mean, you just go down the list of, of your films. I don't want to be obnoxious and read all your titles back to you. But, I mean, you look at everything from Stand By Me to When Harry Met Sally to The Princess Bride, Few Good Men, on and on and on and on. And it's just classic film after classic film. And I think a lot of your fans who are listening uh, know what our favorite moments are, but I'm just curious if you have any particular special uh, moments or experiences in your filmmaking career that, when you think back on them, hold significance to you? Well, I, I would say that the the whole experience uh, of making Stand By Me, for me, was probably, in just in terms of filmmaking, the most important to me, because um, it was the first time in my career that I um, I felt that there was a film that I was making that reflected my my personality and my sensibility, and uh, the fact that you know it was kind of a coming of age. You know, it's a coming of age movie, but for me, it was like a coming of age uh, creatively, mm -hmm. and I felt like uh, okay, I'm 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 hitting a certain kind of stride of of the kinds of movies I want to make, which is kind of a mixture of 
you know, melancholy humor um, and and uh, nostalgia and drama. I mean, kind of moving all that stuff together. I remember as, uh, you know, as a young guy when I was 17, I was an apprentice at um, the Bucks County Playhouse, uh, mm-hmm. which was a summer theater in, in, you know, in Pennsylvania. And I was 17. I was painting scenery and, and uh, making, you know, building sets and stuff. And the, one of the first productions they had there was a, was a play called A Thousand Clowns by Herb Gardner. And it was very funny and very dramatic. I mean, it had a mixture of those things. And I thought, you know, that's if ever I get to do anything, that's the kind of stuff I'd like to do. So when I did Stand By Me, I thought, okay, well, I'm combining all that stuff. And, and, and so that meant the most to me. Wow. And uh, before we go, I wanted to just ask you uh, a question. That So we ask uh, different guests, uh, particular ones like yourself, who have uh, a long uh, career history, and you've no doubt done countless interviews uh, with, with journalists over the years. Um, if there's a question that you get asked repeatedly over and over again by journalists that you just wish, like if you could snap your fingers and nobody would ask you about this again, that, that you could make happen. And it's okay if I've already asked you this during the interview. No, well. I, I don't. I don't, you know. I mean, because here's the thing. I get asked a lot of questions, uh, you know, you know, people will say, uh, does anybody still call you meathead, you know? <laughs> and, and, and it doesn't bother me. I mean, because that's part of, you know, one of the great experiences of my life and felt, you know, very proud to be part of that. Um, so, no, I don't mind that. And whenever anybody says that, I say, I'll either say, you're the first person today or you're the third person. <laughs> Is there anything maybe that you wish that we would ask you that, that you, you just don't get asked about? Uh, you know, no, I mean, you know, I... Uh, you know, people learn a lot from me over the years. You know, you learn from people, and if you're willing to, you know, ask the questions about a person's life, you can figure out pretty much who they are. So, um, you know, I'm pretty open book about all this stuff. And to me, it's like, you know, at first I thought, you know, people, I know what fame is, you know, so because I've seen it. You know, I've seen my father and how he handles it. And that's one of the things I was talking about earlier, how you see somebody handle uh, certain things in life as a great, uh, a great role model. And so, you know, you go into something for different reasons. You know, if you're going into, you know, film or television or any of the arts, you go in usually to want to express yourself in some way or, you know, make your mark in terms of, you know, your creativity. You don't think about fame, you know. I mean, and now kids do. And that's all they think about, you know, because of social media and because of the Kardashians. People think that that fame is the ultimate goal. It's not about what you do to get fame or all that. But, you know, as a kid, you know, I didn't think about that. But then you become famous. And then once you become famous, then everybody wants to know everything about you. One of the things that's always been weird to me is I always forget that I'm somebody people know. <laughs> it's a weird thing because, you know, you're just somebody who's another person. That's all you are. You know, you, you got a wife, children, you have a house, you do everything everybody else does. And so whenever I'm in public, you know, if I go to a place, I forget. And then somebody comes up to me and, and, and says, and I, oh, yeah, I'm somebody that they know you know what i mean i have to yeah. make that i make that adjustment every time it's a weird thing 
It's a weird thing. That's funny. Well, uh, Mr. Reiner, we, we've known you for many years uh, on the stage, on the screen, big and small, and uh, we love your work, and thank you so much for uh, talking with us today. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for talking to me. Wonderful. Have a wonderful day, and best of luck with uh, Shock and Awe. Okay, thanks. Okay, and we're back. Good interview, Mike. Thank you. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Rob Reiner, uh, he's a great guy. He's everything I was hoping he would be. Yeah, you know, um, the thing about him, uh, he's got this, like, the showbiz kind of mentality where he'll just be open and accessible. He's, It doesn't matter what the interview is. I always kind of get a kick out of him, whether he's being really serious or political. Like his appearances on Real Time. He appears on that show yeah, a lot. With Bill Maher, yeah. Yeah, uh, he's great on it. Um, he's not necessarily funny or going after the joke, but sometimes he does stumble upon one. It's the fact is he's just open and accessible yeah. and just doesn't seem to want to hide anything like he doesn't care right. he has nothing to hide and like he, he said in the interview he forgets sometimes that he's famous until people recognize him which is funny to me because he you know grew up as the son of Carl Reiner and he's got people like Mel Brooks and Norman Lear and, and people like that who just regularly hang out yeah um, I think they have this mentality um, and I think he probably gets this from his dad and his dad's friends Yeah, but this mentality of just be available and he's probably did like I don't know. How many phone interviews do you think he did that day that you spoke oh, to him? Oh, yeah. They usually they line up a whole bunch. Right. You just do one after the other, yeah. But do you get the sense at all when you talk to him no, that he no. was, you were in a queue? No, no. That's, that's why he's the type of person who's so great to interview because yeah. he's in the moment with you. You feel like you're actually talking to a person as opposed to somebody who's reciting you know, uh, a prepared dialogue yeah. about whatever they're promoting it's at perfect. the time. It's perfect. He's present. Yeah. Just comes down to that. Absolutely. And, um, uh, incredibly insightful, knowledgeable, funny. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, just from our perspective here, uh, as uh, do, you know, journalists and interviewers, a dream interview for me would be to be able to sit down with Rob Reiner, his dad Carl Reiner, mm-hmm. Norman Lear, and Mel Brooks, and just sit in a room with them. All still very like, uh, as you were saying in the interview, uh, very productive guys. And Absolutely, the, Norman Lear still producing television shows. Yeah, I love 96. the new One Day at a Time. That right. was Norman Lear's idea to update it, make it a Cuban family, yeah. um, bring in uh, um, all kinds of current political stuff. It, it's wonderful. It's my favorite right. sitcom right and now. That's Norman Lear. It, he was a genius in the '70s, and he's still doing yeah. it. You have uh, Carl Reiner, as Rob mentioned, was on Twitter before him, <laughs> sort yeah. of taught him how yeah. to do it. <laughs> so I mean, these guys—they're not just like, "Hey, I'm a legend, and you wheel me out for uh, you know, open a shopping mall or something and get a, oh, some God, applause no. and go they, home." Like they're yeah. active and relevant, and still like working and, and making a difference. Shock and awe is in theaters now. You saw it, right, Mike? I did see it. Shock and awe. Like I said, it's a great lesson in media literacy and sort of understanding how stories get made and and written and reported on uh, in the mainstream media. Um, And it opens July 27th. I I highly recommend it for that. And uh, I mean, it's Rob Reiner, right? I'm going to check it out. Yeah. Yeah. Who's in it? Woody Harrelson. Woody Harrelson, James James Marsden, uh, Rob Reiner, uh, obviously, as as you heard, since Mm -hmm. uh, Alec Baldwin wasn't available, and uh, Tommy Lee Jones. Cool. And then that's that's the main cast. And then there's a lot of uh, old footage, too. You'll recognize a lot of the news footage from uh, when George W. Bush is standing on an aircraft carrier with Mission Accomplished uh, Uh over his shoulder. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, those were those were the days, the good old days, yeah. as, uh, as people like to think. <laughs> yeah, now. Right. God. Oh, all right. Well, you know, uh, pen, impending doom aside, um, <laughs> let's. Uh, no, you know, a good message though. Sorry, just to end up from people like Rob and, and you talk about Carl Reiner, Mel Brooks, and Norman Lear. You still got to laugh, right? Sometimes life seems down, or sometimes things seem 
uh, doom and gloom. But these guys uh, and the people they work with, they still make sure people laugh every day, uh, except in Shop because it's not a comedy. <laughs> but but I mean, you talk, you look at their work. They're, they're you know, it's it's a good lesson to learn. They're they're live and kicking and vital at 96 for a reason. You know, Mike, before we go, I have one question for you. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite Rob Reiner directed film? <sighs> well, I would... Oh. It, it's a t- I, it's I a would t- probably... I, I love Misery. I love A Few Good Men. I love... I'm going to say When Harry Met Sally just because I am partial to comedy. Uh, though my fiance, her favorite is The Princess Bride. So uh-huh. for, for the sake of our marital future maybe I should go with that maybe we should act it out when I, we, like you should come on and just do like a little scene and I'll bring the popcorn and just be great like listen to all the dialogue you could do Billy Crystal listen, you the could only do scene I Meg act Ryan. out in public is the orgasm don't even say it I knew scene. I see this is and why I do it loud I knew and I do you were it proud it. you know what I do other sex scenes too if okay. you want to know <laughs> it's not the only one I do I do I do that, sounds from nine and a half weeks <laughs> I do. I also do portions of Team America World Police, if you know the best sex scene of all time. That's I do a, other ones. That's a whole other podcast. Well, you know, it's a specialty of mine. It's a, I, it's my party act. This is Gina After Dark. Everybody, please find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. Review and like and all that great stuff. Mikey, another great week. Yes, thank you so much to Rob Reiner for your time. Shock and awe. Like I said, it's in uh, theaters July 27th. Thank you to Gina, always. Uh, for all of the information you've given us today. You're welcome. Uh, And thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll see you next time on Ages and Icons. podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.